Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, hey, hey guys, it's another Sunday night and so it's time for the Brain Love Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Delvina Thomas, a board-certified psychiatrist in South Florida. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm originally from, I'm from Maryland. Um, I've been in Florida, though, for, huh, going on 22 years. Wait, let me think. Going on, yeah, going on 22, no, I'm sorry, going on 15 years. What am I saying? (laughs) I just added a whole nother seven years. Anyway, how was your weekend? How was your week last week? If it wasn't the perfect week, don't worry about it. You're going to get things popping this week. I know you will. Before we get into tonight's show, I just want to touch on a couple of things. Um, I think this is something I may like to do moving forward is just to give a couple of announcements, updates, that sort of thing. And uh, tonight, I just want to say... Man, if you're having domestic violence issues, seek help. Don't continue to entertain or or deal with a person who has aggress, uh, issues with aggression and issues controlling their anger. It's never safe. And um, what's making me, what's compelling me to, to mention this is a story about a man by the name of Umberto Christian Tovar. He goes by the name Christian He's um, a young man who lived, past tense, in Miami before he killed his children in Miami Lakes and killed himself. So um, he was married to the children's mother. They separated, and the separation, it seems like from the story that's told in the Miami Herald, they separated because of his anger issues, his mental health challenges, um, Christian is, that's the name he goes by. His family tells a story that he was diagnosed with bipolar. And when he was in his twenties, he attempted suicide many times. His wife also indicated to police when they were called to the home for domestic violence issues that he had bipolar and would easily snap or could easily get angry, you know, go from zero to a hundred real quick, real quick. Um, and so He wouldn't be arrested. She never pressed charges. She never went through with a potential charge with the state's attorney. And these things would go on and on and on. Finally, she separated from him physically. She left him. I think that was like in August 2021, something like that. Um, And so just the other day, he showed up to her, her home at night. And wanted to see his two children. May those children rest in peace, man. Oh, my gosh. It's such a sad story. They were only ages 12 and 9. And what's so crazy, yes, I'm using that word, is that before he shot and killed his two young children, he went on Instagram and portrayed himself as a doting father. He posted a picture, a black and white picture, a selfie of himself with his daughter, Valeria, 12, and his son, Matias, 9. He posted that, and then just moments later, he shot and killed them both and then killed himself. So 
behind the social media facade, there was a guy who had a lot of mental health issues. Now, to me, I don't know if he had bipolar or if this guy had just simply a personality disorder. Um, I want to say in the report it also indicated that he had a history of drug use and um, some other things like as a teenager and as a young adult. Um, And so the thing we have to understand about social media, Instagram and Facebook, these things, people show you what they want to show you. Here we had a whole devil, and, and if the family hears this episode and they get upset, I believe in, in spirits, I believe in spirituality, I believe in the whole nine yards. And it's not always mental illness that that leads someone to kill someone else and then kill themselves. It's not mental illness simply. I believe in a thing called evil. Evilness exists. Evilness exists. And so he struggled with this bipolar disorder and apparently it would make him snap easily. And um, as I said, he tried to kill himself in the past. Well, what really is happening is that maybe there are other things going on. So maybe the family knows he had a difficult upbringing. Whenever someone has a difficult, challenging, child-rearing upbringing, oftentimes a personality disorder is the result of that. And to me, it sounds like he may have been borderline. He may have had borderline personality disorder. I will do a special on that sometime soon. I'll also be talking about social media addiction at some point in time. Um, But I just wanted to discuss this because I want all the women to know you don't have to stay in a situation of domestic violence. You don't have to stay. You can leave. You have to access the resources to go, but you should leave. Go. Don't stay. And tonight what I would like to do is I want you to to learn about the different resources that are available to you. I want you to hear about the things that you can do. I want folks to hear about the warning signs of domestic violence, the warning signs that someone could be in trouble. So I'm going to play an interview that Super Cindy from 99 Jams conducted with um, a woman by the name of Emily Janice. Emily Janice is a representative of women in distress. And if you didn't know it, um, February is Teen Domestic Violence Month. February is Teen Domestic Violence Month. So talk to your teenagers too, because a lot of teens are going through situations with significant others that include profanity, being berated, someone grabbing them, someone pushing them, someone smacking them. Please, please talk to your young, beautiful sons and daughters because it's not just women who go through situations of domestic violence. It happens, too, with men. It happens to everyone. So back to the story. This guy, Christian, on Sunday night, He went to visit his kids at his estranged wife's house to spend time with them in the parking lot. After about half an hour, the mother took the kids inside because it was past their bedtime. Christian became upset. The next morning, the mother found her car had been vandalized with damage all along the right side of the car. 
they checked the surveillance cameras and, and it revealed that Christian was to blame. And um, the mother then advised Christian, quote, I'm not paying anything. Oh, I'm sorry. Pardon me. This is not what the mother say, stated. This is what Christian, the father, stated. Quote, I'm not paying anything. I will take you to court and take away the kids. Close quote. That's what he told her when she called to ask him to pay for the damages. She reported the, the case to police on Monday. Now, this is Monday of this week. On Tuesday night, the following night, Christian goes to pick up his children. He picks them up, took them to their favorite Hialeah restaurant, me sandwich Cubano on Hialeah, and um, with his kids at his side next to the lake, he called his mother. He asked his mother if she wanted to say hello to the children. The mother spoke to the children. The children said they were fine. But police say that Christian was armed with a stolen gun. He took the children to a canal bank in Miami Lakes, and he shot both of them dead. He shot them dead. Then he turned the gun on himself. Before the shootings, Christian had contacted the mother, the wife, either by text or by phone. And whatever he told her worried her so much that she contacted the police and frantically began searching for her children. After searching and searching, what she did is she tracked her children's cell phone and her, the phones led her to the canal bank where she made the tragic discovery. She had found that her children had been shot and killed. They were murdered by their own father. My heart is breaking. I just, it's un. you just can't fathom how a person could kill their own children. Now, we've heard about women killing their children, drowning their babies, doing things to harm their children within the clinical setting of uh, postpartum depression, which is really a severe case of depression that occurs following giving birth. But this man didn't have no baby, and men don't have hormones like women. They don't have the estrogen and all these other hormones that can affect, that have been shown in research, can affect our mood and how we feel. So why he would kill his children, who would think to do such a thing? So, of course, we all know that he killed the children because that was the, the, the strongest, the most penetrating way to hurt his wife. Because if you want to hurt a woman you mess with her kids. You fuck with her kids. You do something to her child. That is that is the way to hurt a woman the most, especially during a personal relationship or in a personal relationship when two people depart and they're no longer together. Oftentimes, depending on the type of relationship you have and how it started, if you weren't really friends, that person is scorned. And that person will not and does not deal with the frustration and try to cope with the separation. Instead, they lash out and they do things to try to hurt you, to try to hurt you. And also, at times, they're hurting the children because of the antics that they 
execute, that they act out, that's played out. So what I want to say, what I want to get across to you in this this episode is to please, 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 when you're dating someone and they show you anger, all of a sudden they just yell or you guys get into a disagreement and they become enraged, leave that person alone. Don't continue to lay with them. Don't continue to increase your risk of conceiving with them by continuing to have sex. Leave the relationship. Because these angry type of people show you early that they have issues or problems. And someone may be saying, well, I have bipolar, so you're telling people not to not to deal with me, not to be in a relationship with me. No, what I'm telling you as you, as the other person, the other party with the mental health challenge, go get help. Seek help. Go see someone. Get treated. Deal with your anger. Maybe you need medication. Maybe you need to go to anger management classes. Maybe you need to go to anger management classes more than once. But do something about your mental disturbance. So coming up now is an interview that Super Cindy did with Emily Janice from Women in Distress um, for the month of February, which is Teen Domestic Violence Month. And I want to talk about the teens because I've spoken about women in domestic violence situations previously. If you follow my YouTube channel or you're subscribed, there is an interview on there with two lovely women, two young girls who um, one of them was involved in human trafficking as a teenager. So you can go on there and you can um, watch those shows and listen to those interviews where we talk about domestic violence. But this this night, tonight, I'm dedicating to the teens. And this is um, this is Teen Domestic Violence Month. So listen to Super Cindy from 99 Jams. This is from her show, Community Matters, which I produce. She interviews Emily Janice and asks her a lot of questions. She asks her about the flags, the signs, um, the things we need to be aware of to know that something is happening. And Emily will then towards the end and also throughout the interview, give uh, phone numbers and, and names of resources. If you're going through a struggle, please reach out. If you don't know where to turn to, you don't have a number, your local ER, you can go there in person and just tell the receptionist when you walk in, I'm a victim of domestic violence and I need help. And I guarantee you 100% the physician will see you the case manager will talk to you. The nurse will talk to you and help you and get you what you need. Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's your girl, Super Cindy. Welcome to Community Matters. I hope you guys are feeling amazing on this Sunday morning. And you know how Community Matters does. We inform you on things that you really need to be informed on, educated on. We give out numbers to help you, resources. So this Sunday morning is not like unlike any other Sunday morning on Community Matters. This morning, we have Miss Emily Janice. She is a education and prevention manager at Women in Distress. And we've spoken to Women in Distress before, but February is Teen Domestic Violence Month. And we need to talk about this. We, we tend to think that domestic violence is only for adults, but the young people see the older people doing it in their homes or wherever they learn it or through the music or whatever the reason is. 
And now teen domestic violence month is a thing because it should be a thing because it is a problem. So good morning, Emily. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on this morning. No worries. This is something we definitely got to talk about. So let everybody know exactly what Women in Distress is and what exactly it does. Sure. So Women in Distress is the local domestic violence center serving Broward County, but we're part of a network of domestic violence centers all around the state of Florida. And essentially, we provide direct support to survivors as well as community awareness. So we have our crisis hotline, our shelter, we've got therapy. Um, and then me and my team go out in the community and talk about domestic violence and dating violence, just like we are right now, to build that awareness because we can't help survivors on our own. Is there like a misconception um, that if you're like dating someone and they get physical or verbally abusive with someone that it's okay? Like what, what are some of the misconceptions with domestic violence? Yeah, I think physical violence, we sort of know really young that it's not okay, right? Um, and we're sort of taught that to a certain extent. But especially what you mentioned about the verbal and like the emotional violence, that's a lot of where the gray area is and where a lot of the misconception is. So one of the one of the things we see a lot is possessive jealousy, right? And this happens with young people a lot, especially um, where they folks think that's like really cute or it's just, well, he really likes me. She really is into me. Um, jealousy is normal. Jealousy is a normal emotion. Possessive jealousy is not. You can't use your jealousy to start controlling another person, like looking through their phone. Um, and that's really what dating violence and domestic violence is about. It's about control, right? It's not about acts of physical violence. We spoke um, previously um, a few months ago, and we talked about how the pandemic has affected the numbers in domestic violence. Can we touch on that again? Because we're still um, living through the effects of the pandemic and the stresses that we see on the news and all the numbers rising and all that stuff. Like, what, how did the pandemic affect domestic violence? Yeah, it, I mean, it's already hard for survivors to get help. Um, and there's a lot of isolation that happens in domestic violence relationships. And the pandemic was all about isolation and kind of separating ourselves. A lot of the ways survivor get, get help isn't just calling us. It's a doctor asking questions, a teacher, a friend, a neighbor. That's why this awareness is so important. When you don't have those connections, you're not seeing folks, nobody's seeing you. Um, there's, you know, it's harder to get help sometimes. And even just to get out of the mental space of being with an abuser. When you're with an abuser, they are wearing down your self-esteem. When they tell you things like, you know, no one else is gonna love you. You're not gonna be able to find anything outside of this. You can't do this on your own. You can't leave me. You really start to internalize that. So we know it's harder to get help with the pandemic. And also um, it's just affected folks more. It's affected, uh, affected folks financially. And even the mental health aspect, what we're really focusing on this February for young people is mental health with dating violence and outside of that too, because we know that we've seen statistics that youth are experiencing greater and more complex mental health issues, especially around the pandemic um, because of their, you know, the social connections and just the stress and depression and anxiety that they're facing. So we know mental mm. health has been a big part of it too. Definitely. So let's talk about that. Teen Domestic Violence Month, the month of February, we're in it right now. Why do you think a month specifically for teenagers and domestic violence was created? Because obviously, <laughs> mm. yeah, right. Well, so we have October Domestic Violence Awareness Month, right? But I think it's like what you said in the beginning. Um, we don't often think about dating violence happening with our young people. And us as adults, sometimes we can just kind of get 
dismissive of young people. We, we say, oh, it's a, you know, it's a young relationship. It's your high school sweetheart. It's your first relationship. That all might be true, but it doesn't mean it's any less real for those folks. And we need to make sure we take their experiences seriously. Um, but part of Dating Violence Awareness Month is not just building awareness of violence, but also doing the healthy relationships work. Um, it's a really good opportunity for us to teach about healthy relationships to combat and prevent dating violence in the future. So I think that's probably why it really started was to, was to kind of highlight young people and make sure they're heard and they get the tools that they need. What are some of the things that um, Women in Distress is doing in the month of February for Teen Do Domestic Violence Month? Yeah, so we, uh, we're running a series of parent youth workshops that are virtual. Um, we did this last year as well. And the goal of this is to really just get parents and youth talking, give them the tools to have these conversations. Um, in a lot of homes, folks don't talk about dating. Uh, it's really awkward or they don't want their child dating. And all of that is fine if you don't want your child to date, but it doesn't mean they're not getting those messages, right? So it can still be helpful to talk about healthy relationships, digital boundaries and safety, uh, consent, those sorts of things. But parents and young people are often not equipped to have those conversations. So we're doing a, a workshop series that's going to help give both youth and parents the tools to have those conversations and feels more safe and comfortable with each other. Do you find that teenagers are comfortable speaking about the fact that maybe they might be in an abusive teen relationship and the parents draw drops like what? Yeah, uh, I would say it's almost no, not comfortable. So there's a statistic that says only 33%, so about a third of teens who go through abusive relationships tell anyone about the abuse. And even those 33% that do talk about it with someone in their personal lives, it's almost never their parents. It's usually a peer, right? Because when you're young and even as adults, we go to our friends because we care yeah. about what they think and they're, they're closer to our experience. But there's a lot of fear actually when we talk to youth about going to their parents because they... Uh, fear that they're going to be told, you know, I told you so, that they're not going to understand, they're not going to take it as seriously, or that they're somehow going to get in trouble. Yeah, they're going to get grounded. You ain't going nowhere. <laughs> right. Or I told you, you know, that person was bad news. I told you to stop running with that yeah. crowd. And yeah, maybe you did tell that, but we know that young people have to experience, you know, not have to experience abuse, but kind of go based on what they want to do. So really, if your goal is to keep your child safe and help them get to safety, there should be no room for I told you so's. I told you so's are never a good thing to say because um, it always makes the person feel worse and you're not really helping. Okay, no one wants to hear that. Mm -mm. So <clears throat> so what are like when when there's teen teens involved in an abusive relationship? So let's go on the end of where a teenager grew up in a home where they saw the parent being the abuser mm -hmm. to like the other parent or the the wife, husband, whatever. Mm -hmm. what are the like chances of that person growing up to be an abuser? Yeah, they're pretty high. Um, so we, we see domestic violence and dating violence as a learned behavior, which is why it's actually preventable. Um, you know, I hate when folks are like, it's just going to happen. It's not, it, we can prevent it. It just takes a lot of work. Uh, mm -hmm. But one of the reasons it's a learned behavior is because they're seeing it in the homes that they grow up. Now we know that folks can grow up in abusive homes and not become abusers, but the chances are about 50 to 60%. Um, and that's, so it's a risk factor, right? Um, because that's where that the adults in our home are often the first and most impactful example of intimate relationships, right? And, yeah. and romantic relationships. Now, I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, even kids also, and us, 
get all sorts of messages about relationships, not just from the folks in our home, but from our faith communities, from our community at large, from music, from social media, um, from our peers in school, uh, but the adults in our home, definitely. And the statistic is a little bit stronger for uh, young men and boys growing up in a household with an abusive uh, father figure, male figure, um, because we know that kids often identify with the parent of the same gender in the home. So we see it a little bit stronger on that end. Mm. And then what if someone, a teenager grew up in a home where their parent also, they saw their parent being, I don't want to call them the victim, but what is the proper term of the person who's being abused? Is it victim? Yeah. Uh, you know, each survivor, survivor does it themselves. We have, yeah, we usually use survivor because I like okay. to emphasize, you know, they are actively surviving their situation. Um, they are not just a passive player in this, right? They are doing what they can to keep them and their kids safe. But some folks that we work with prefer the term victim. Some prefer the term survivor. Some don't really use any term. Um, but yeah, typically we use the word survivor. So if a teenager grows up in a home where they see their parent or their guardian or whoever being a survivor and dealing with it daily, and that teenager is dealing with that daily as well, what are, do you think it's more likely that they grow, they grow up to not tolerate something like that or they might fall into the same trap of being a victim slash survivor as well yeah that one's a little bit harder to say we don't have as much clear like pattern data on that but again it's that learned behavior piece right um they might know that it's bad and it impacts them in the home um but then they're not they're not getting another example and that's really why healthy relationships education is so important because you can't just say okay this was bad whether that's from personal experience growing up in the home right or you just learn about it, but you have to replace it with something positive. You got to give folks the tools to do something different. Um, so that's really where the missing piece is in that example. Uh, so, you know, if they get that education or they do the work themselves uh, to look for green flags and, and that sort of thing, then yeah, maybe they can prevent it. Um, but but there are cases where folks grow up in violent homes and they, they experience violence in the future. A lot of that more though, is we still want to put obviously the, the the accountability on the person who's doing the abuse, right? Exactly. So uh, even if you grow up in a violent home and you get victimized yourself as an adult, still not your fault, right? If you didn't see the red flags earlier enough, it's still the person who chose to abuse you who's at fault. And you spoke, and you said a little bit earlier something extremely important: the mental health aspect of abuse yeah. and domestic violence. And now we're shifting it to teenagers. What? like speak a little bit on that, like the mental health portion of domestic violence, but speaking about the teen part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So we know, I mean, we, we could probably call back to it as teenagers, maybe some folks are confident, but all of us are going through changes at that time. You're figuring exactly. out who you are, you've got like, you know, your peers around you, you're kind of under a constant social microscope. It's, it's a time of a lot of pressure, but also a lot of growth. Um, so we know that it can be a challenging time for young people anyway, and they need a lot of you know, strong uh, adult presence and support and strong communities and neighborhoods and schools and that feeling of safety in all of those environments. Um, so with the pandemic, but especially with abusive relationships, they lose that sense, right? When you at that really young, vulnerable age, when you're just starting to grow into yourself, now you have this person in your life who's telling you you're not good enough. Uh, you're not doing what you need to as a girlfriend or boyfriend, um, you know, and they start wearing down your self-esteem that's a really crucial time where that can really impact your development um, of yourself and your confidence. Um, and so we know, you know, increased 
kids that go through abusive relationships and even that grow, grow up in abusive homes are at increased risk for suicide um, and other mental health issues, uh, both in youth and into adulthood. So um, there's a lot of that. And then there's a lot of stigma around them getting the help that they need. I think that's changing. We're hearing a lot of youth talk about mental health in a really positive way and we want to keep that going, but there's still that stigma there for adults and even more so for youth. Yeah, I agree with that. So when, you know, in an adult relationship, when the police are called, when an incident happens and the police are called, is it different with teenagers? Like, you know, parents might get involved and the parents might go to whoop that person's butt for their child. Like, it's just such a, like a web of. A it web gets really complex. <laughs> and that's really the tough part about teen dating violence is they're minors. Right. Um, so they're even, we, you know, when we talk with adults, we talk about like getting restraining orders and things or getting services like from women in distress for young people, they can do those things, but a lot of it has to involve parent or guardian support. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about earlier, there's often, there's a lot of reasons why teens fear going to their parents. So that might block them off from that support. But I want to mention for WID and for a lot of the domestic violence centers, teens can get services with us up to two times, like two sessions confidentially before we have to then get parental or guardian consent. And those two confidential times can help like, you know, safety plan for telling a parent. But yeah, there's a lot of barriers that teens face in like the structures of getting help around calling law enforcement, parents getting involved and the resources that are available. So that's why we want to make, you know, these hotlines and resources and other things out there for teens a lot more accessible for them. I know the parents might not agree with me, but I think that's amazing that you guys give the teens, a person under 18, an opportunity to go speak to to you without a parent there and their authorization and everything. Because like you said, the teens don't want their parents in that situation. And that gives women in distress an opportunity to discuss it, see their situation and try to let them know like what the proper way is to handle what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, too, I I found in my experience, because we're doing a lot more parent education, that's what we're really trying to focus on as well, because we know that one of the best ways to support youth, like we're talking about, is to kind of get the parent positively involved Mm -hmm. and give them the tools. And I found that once once we do talk to parents, most of them are pretty open and they want to be able to help their kid and and have that really strong relationship. Um, But yeah, giving that team the space first and then being able to work with the parent and then bring them together is a it makes it a lot more positive instead of just, I told my parent and now things, you know, now there's chaos sort of, you know. Let's give out that number um, for women in distress and then we'll keep talking. Um, sure. The women in distress number is 954-761-1133. Again, 954-761-1133. So when someone calls that number, um, Emily, what is the process? Sure. They talk to a live advocate. We always have live advocates. You're never going to go through like an automated response. Um, and really the first question we ask is, are you in a safe place to talk? Right. So we mm-hmm. assess for immediate safety just to make sure, you know, we can get to a place where you feel comfortable talking. And then really it's up to the caller. We have folks call who just want to talk and aren't ready to get services. Absolutely. Okay. We have folks that are ready to get services that want to know more. We have folks that Um, you know, might not need dating violence services, but might need other ones and we can kind of connect them. So the hotline is really, and it's even for parents and professionals, if you want to work through a situation or get some guidance or just talk it out. So the hotline is a wonderful resource. It's 24 seven. 
365 days a year, um, and we can help with any of those. It's very open-ended and very much based on, you know, what the caller really wants to talk about, what they need in the moment. You just said something really dope that if you know someone who's being abused, you don't have to be the one being abused, but know someone and you're trying to figure out how do I talk to them? How do I convince them to get help? How do I convince them to get out of that situation? How do I help them get out of it? They can mm-hmm. also call the, the number to, to ask for advice there too. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that, again, that's a lot of the way survivors get connected to services and even think about getting help, whether they're ready to leave or not, is through people they know, right? And you don't have to be a trained advocate to be a friend. I always say that to young people, to adults, to parents, you know, we don't expect you to be a domestic violence expert and safety plan and all this stuff. Really, a lot of the times what that person in your life needs is someone who believes them and is willing to help. Um, You know, and a good example of that even is, you know, maybe you use my cell phone to call the hotline when you're ready to call the hotline instead of using your own so the number doesn't show up. Maybe you come Mm. over my house. Maybe we text a code word. And if, you know, maybe you're feeling unsafe or you need someone to talk to, you text me that code word. I call you, I text you, I come over. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that us as community members can do outside of having to be, you know, trained and and super prepared. I think folks often get scared of the idea of getting involved at all because they feel like they're going to make it worse. Your goal is to just make it safer um, and, and be a friend. Should someone who's in an abusive relationship, whether they're a teen, adult or whatever, should they have like a game plan like you just said, like with your best friend or a close person that you trust, have like a game plan. Like if I ever text you the word blah, blah, just come over <laughs> right. or something like that. Yeah. Um, It definitely helps. I think safe. So we do, that's like really what we call safety planning, right? And we do safety planning as part of all of our services. And folks often think as a safety plan, you know, like we don't have a magical checklist that we we go through. It's really tailored to what is this person already doing and how can we enhance that? So we might give suggestions like the code word and things Um, for some folks that might not work, but yeah, that's a lot of what we give on the hotline, especially as we talk through safety, right? Because it's, you can't, um, as a survivor who's surviving in this relationship, because the abuse isn't your fault, you can't anticipate always that it's going to happen or when it's going to happen or how, but there are things you can do and just like ideas you can have that can help you feel safer. So if this happens, I can do this. Um, so yeah, I recommend, I mean, safety planning is an awesome resource and our advocates on the phone who are professionals can help you with that. Um, it's certainly helpful even just for you know, your mental strength of, okay, I have, I have folks in my life. I have this idea of what I could do. And maybe that makes it easier than to get help further. If a parent is listening right now and they might think that, you know, parents, sometimes they might over dramatize the situation Mm -hmm. or whatever, but if a parent in their heart feels like their child might be in an abusive relationship, what should, what do you advise them to do? Um, not I'd go choke you. out the, the boyfriend or the girlfriend. Yeah, yeah don't That's go chasing after who you think the abusive partner is. That's just going to escalate things uh, okay. as much as our parental maybe, uh, you That's know. That's the first stop, don't do it. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, PSA for everybody. Um, a, a big thing is just to talk with your talk with the young person first, talk with your child. Um, and it doesn't have to be, are you being abused? Because that's going to shut them down a lot. Right? Yeah. And they might not have that language, but just, hey, how is everything? You don't seem like yourself. Um and really come at a place of not, I think you're doing something wrong by being with this person, but I'm worried about you and I care about you and you can talk to me. 
And even if they're not ready to share, sending that message of you can talk to me, it's okay. I want you to be safe. I care more about your safety than any perceived wrongs you might've done. Mm-hmm. Um, that message is what will open the door. Um, and then if there's a you know heightened concern, you can be a little bit more forthright and say, you know, I'm concerned about your safety because X, Y, Z. Um, you know, do you want to get help? Do you want to talk about it? But I think, I think, yeah, just starting the conversation with them, sending that message that they can talk to you. Uh, and then again, calling the hotline, getting some guidance and some, you know, perspective. Yes. Parents, if you're listening, you can also call women in distress at 954-761-1133 to ask for advice on how to handle if you and your heart feel like your teen, unfortunately is, you know, being abused by their, you know, significant other. What is it? Um, I don't want to sound stereotypical or anything, but domestic violence happens in gay relationships as well, right? Same sure. sex. Like- yeah, it happens in LGBTQ relationships. Mm-hmm. It happens where if it's a heterosexual relationship, the male can be the um, the victim. Yeah, it, it happens. It does because it's not about who you are. It's about what you do, mm-hmm. right? And what you do is the abuse if you're in an abusive relationship or you experience it. Uh, but yeah, it can absolutely happen in LGBTQ relationships. But for LGBTQ teens, um, they're less, even more less likely to report the violence because at that time when they're teenagers, they might not be out with their identity to everyone. Their parents might not be okay with their identity or still be struggling with it. So if they're in an LGBTQ relationship that's abusive, that might stop them from being able to tell because talking about your abusive relationship involves talking about the person you're in that abusive relationship with. So we want to make sure that LGBTQ teens know that it can happen, but also that they have supports in their life that not only accept them, but are willing to help them get to safety. Does women in distress have resources to like if a church or a organization or a teen organization or something was interested in having a woman in distress advocate or representative go speak to the young people or even adults, you guys have those resources? Oh, absolutely. And that's really what we have a whole team luckily dedicated. So I'm really happy that our, uh, our agency has invested in an education and prevention team because it's an essential piece of our work, just as much as it's essential to have a hotline and a shelter and all the other stuff we do. So on our website, womenindistress.org, there's a education and prevention uh, webpage tab on there um, and my contact info is there, but yeah, you can reach out to us through that website um, and we'd be happy to come speak with, I always joke, we'll speak with anyone that wants to listen to us, but um, we're happy to recognize that because folks need to know and we're happy to have these conversations. I think honestly, like it'd be awesome for like the churches, the pastors listening, um, just church goers, anybody who's involved with any organization to have women in distress go speak to them and educate everyone involved, the congregation or whoever. Yeah. I think that would be amazing. Well, you so know what, again, faith communities, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to No, no, go off. ahead, go ahead. Uh, I say faith communities, especially, we know that that's that place where you come for connection, for knowledge, for, you know, all that spirituality. Those can be some of the strongest places to talk about this stuff. You're absolutely right, because folks, folks are already building those vulnerable relationships with each other. There's a trust in those communities. Um, and so that can easily and, and wonderfully be a space to, for safety and to also just build that awareness. So yeah, we, we'd be happy to come out and talk with those folks too. So we've been speaking to Emily Janice. She is the Education and Prevention Manager at Women in Distress. Emily, we just want to thank you so much for always educating our listeners. 
The number to women in distress again is 954-761-1133. That's 954-761-1133. And you can also go to womenindistress.org to get more information. Remember, February is Teen Domestic Violence Month. Let's get the word out. Let's educate each other, educate our young people so they don't become survivors of this horrible thing or victims, especially. Emily, thank you so much for your time and for speaking to us this morning. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me and highlighting this issue. Y'all are doing amazing work. <laughs> your girl, Super Cindy, Community Matters. This episode is produced by Dr. Delvina. What's up, guys? So I just want to remind you about the ways you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Delvina at Dr. D as in Delta, E-L-V as in Victor, E-N-A. I no longer have a Dr. Delvina Twitter or a Dr. Delvina Facebook professional page. Both of those were unpublished. Um, I won't get into the details of that, but... Um, Instead of following Dr. Delvina on Twitter, follow the office Twitter page, which is, which is DRT Brain Love, DRT Brain Love, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E, DRT as in Dr. T, DRT. And on Facebook, you can follow the Brain Love podcast. And of course, if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me at Dr. Delvina. And my website is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Shorten, Dr. And then Delvina, D as in Delta, E L V as in Victor, E N A dot help, H E L P. As in help me, help me, Dr. Delvina. And um, tell your friends, tell everybody about the Brain Love podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe either on Pandora, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on Anchor, subscribe on Anchor. Show me some love, y'all. Show me some love. That's right. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe, reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs, know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations, limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership, own your mistakes, learn from them, and move on. Vengeance is not yours, it's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication, don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love. Mm-hmm.